you, whether you're watching online or you're here in the room, would say, Ken, I've got some burdens that I would like God to lift. Maybe it's health issues. Maybe it's people issues in your life, financial issues, just the stress of life. Every burden will be lifted in his presence. So we know that positionally Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, but he is here right now through the presence of his spirit. And I believe God wants to touch you right where you are. If you're watching online, he wants to touch you. If you're here and you say, Ken, I, I need a burden to be lifted, we you just raise your hand? I know that can be weird, it can feel awkward, maybe you feel hesitant to even do that, but say, Ken, I have, a, I have a burden that needs to be lifted. If you're around someone who has their hand up, would you, would you, maybe some of you wouldn't even, even need to move around the room. There's some people that are kind of all by themselves over where they are, but if you'd be willing to move around the room, and we're not gonna do anything weird, just, just to lay a hand on someone's shoulder. Sometimes when you have a burden, it's just nice to know that you're not alone. Sometimes we feel isolated in our burdens. We feel, I don't know, it's good to know there's someone who can, who's there with us. And so would you, if, if you have a burden, just lift your hand if you're around someone or maybe you need to walk across the room. And now can we just begin to pray together? I believe God wants to lift some burdens today. I believe God wants to minister his peace and his presence and his hope. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. God, we, we don't have anything to offer in and of ourselves, but God, we join our faith together and we believe that you are the lifter of burdens. God, we just would speak healing in this room over those who are sick. God, we would speak restoration in this room where there's relationships that have been strained. God, we would speak provision where there is lack. We pray that you would open doors where it seems like there's impossibilities. God, we would speak release to those who are oppressed. We would speak freedom to those who feel imprisoned. We would speak recovery of sight to those who just feel like they're surrounded by darkness. We speak good news to, just, to those who just feel so impoverished in their souls. Jesus, through your spirit, would you lift burdens? Would you minister hope? Would you minister peace? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So before you go back to your seat and sit down, maybe there's someone near you or maybe it's someone else, maybe someone around you probably needs a hug or a fist pump or a high five. You can usually see in their face which one that is, okay? There's some people who want the hug and there's some people who just want the fist pump. So just read the body language. morning and welcome to Journey. Today we're, we're beginning, I'm, I want to talk to you for just today and next week, I want to talk to you specifically about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a subject that, that just isn't talked about enough in most churches. And in fact, what I found is that there's a lot of confusion 
as to not only the, the Holy Spirit, but if we zoom out, there's even a lot of confusion about God and who God is and how the Holy Spirit fits in to who God is. In fact, I would say in the last seven or eight weeks, I have had more conversations in the last seven or eight weeks than I have in probably several years of people just saying, hey, help me understand how Jesus relates to God, how the Holy Spirit relates to God. And so before we get into specifically talking about the Holy Spirit, I wanna zoom out and talk about God. And you go, there's a lot we could talk about God, right? I mean, we could talk for days about God, for weeks, for years, for, for centuries about God. So here's the first thing that I probably would say is essential to understand about God. And this is from the very beginning in the Jewish mindset. In fact, we find this in Deuteronomy. We find a, a word that is used, and it's even used amongst Jewish people today. It's called the Shema. And the Shema is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So just from an elementary level, if you're talking about God, the first thing that you would want to know about God, I mean, beyond the fact that he's the creator of the universe and, and all these different aspects, is to understand that God is one. God is one. We are monotheists. We believe in one God. We are, we're not polytheists. We don't believe in the multiplicity of gods. We don't believe that creation is God. We don't worship sun and moon. We don't have idols that are named the different. We believe in one God. Now, this can get a little confusing in the Old Testament because they, they refer to God with different names. And that's not because they have different gods. That's their, just their way of saying this God is so incredible that there's all sorts of ways that we can call him. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's Elohim. He's Yahweh or Jehovah, however you choose to pronounce that word. There's, there's, there's Adonai. There's, there's these different words, but they're all describing the same God. Everybody with me? The one true God. Now, just to mess with you, we also believe that this one God is existent in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And this gets really confusing. And I'm just going to tell you right from the get-go, I don't completely understand all this. It's a mystery. It's beyond my pay grade. But that this one true God is expressed in three persons, not three personalities. This isn't a God who has three personalities and one minute he's, I'm God the Father. Now close your eyes, I'm gonna go back, change into a different outfit, come out and now I'm wearing a dress, so I'm Jesus. You know, and now I'm, not a, okay, don't send me emails. I'm, I just know where that's gonna go already, but I mean a robe, okay? Now I'm gonna go back and, and now I've got fire. I'm the Holy Spirit, you know, like, like we understand this one true God expresses himself in three persons that can all three be in the same moment at the same time. A great illustration of this is when Jesus is baptized at the age of 30. And we have Jesus, who is God, and we have him coming up out of the water and he hears the voice outside of himself. He's not a ventriloquist. Here's a voice outside of himself from the Father saying, this is my son, I love him, I'm proud of him. And then we have, at the same moment, we have the Holy Spirit who appears like a dove. He's not a dove. He appears like a dove and hovers over Jesus in that moment. All three members of the Trinity all existing at the same time. Now this, again, this is confusing. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's a little confusing. It's a little confusing, all right? And so there's all kinds of different pictures and ideas that we have to try to describe this and I remember growing up and well God is like an egg or you know someone else would say well God is like H2O he's liquid and he's gas and he's solid and, and all these things and and, and so here, here's what I would I, I guess one of the things I would do to try to help you understand this is is I brought a pie this is a caramel apple pie 
Somebody. Well, glory. This will make you preach. Can you imagine having a cup of coffee and maybe a side of some vanilla ice cream, like good vanilla ice cream, you know, not generic, just good vanilla. And then you got your caramel apple pie. So the caramel apple pie, and if I was to divide this caramel apple pie into three slices, see, I'm going to massacre this thing. Oh, and it's caramel, so it's now, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, you're more than willing. Okay, I'm mutilating it. Okay, so I've got, I've got one-third of it now. Oh. And now I take this slice away. Forgive me while I lick my finger. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I take this slice away. This is still caramel apple pie. Even though it's not in the pan with the rest of the caramel apple pie, it is still caramel apple pie. It is st- so, so here's where you, some of you are going, what does that have to do with God? I don't know. I just wanted to buy a caramel apple pie and, and, and have it up here. Jesus, removed from God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, is still God. The Holy Spirit, removed from God the Father and God the Son, is still God. God the Father, removed from God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, is still God. He's, they're still God. In fact, this is why it's so confusing, because in our culture, pretty much, I'm not saying without, you know, there, there's caveats to all this, but our culture is fine with just talking about God. If you just talk about God, you, you know, you're going to get a few weird looks and, oh, you're one of those, you know, you're a religious person, okay, whatever. But here, here's where things get a little dicey. You start being specific about God, and by specific I mean we could just talk about the apple pie, But then we could get specific and start talking about each slice of the apple pie, right? You start talking about God the Father, and and you're going to get people a little more riled up, especially in a society where we don't necessarily like the whole patriarchal issues and all that. And some of you have daddy issues, and I understand that that's kind of a little problematic for you. But but here's what I would get you. Like, okay, God the Father, maybe we can go with that a little bit. You want to get people a little more disturbed? Start talking about God as Jesus. All right, people, they get their panties in a wad in a hurry over wanting to be specific about God as Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit, honestly, there's so many people who have no clue of the Holy Spirit, even within American churches in general, that they just kind of go, okay, now you're really weird. Because I don't even know. Many American, even in evangelical circles, don't understand the Holy Spirit whatsoever. So what we want to do this morning and next week is just kind of unpack a little bit and talk about who is the Holy Spirit? Why is this even important? I hope by the end of this service you got a general idea of why it's important. And really, really that's the gist of this morning. Who is the Holy Spirit and why is he important? First thing I would say right out of the gates is beyond the fact that God is one is that the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. Uh, that's, that's huge, and you need to understand that. In fact, turn to the person next to you and repeat after me. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. 
some of you didn't do it, and that means no apple pie for you afterward, all right? Just, just saying. Just saying you got to participate to get a chance. All right, so, so the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father, God the Son. Here's the other thing that you need to understand. We'll start to unpack this a little bit. The Holy Spirit is just as much in the Bible as God the Father and God the Son. In fact, the Holy Spirit, if we're talking about the Trinity, we're talking about the Godhead, the Holy Spirit is the first member of the Trinity even mentioned in Scripture. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning was the, the heavens and the earth, right? Now the earth was empty and formless and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God hovered over the darkness. That's verse two. So in the second verse of the Bible, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. Some of you didn't know that. Some of you are like, really? You should read your Bibles. You'll find all kinds of interesting things in your Bible. Here, here's a great application point. If you're looking for some application points, here's a great application point. The Holy Spirit is always hovering over chaos. Amen. So right now, some of you are so disturbed over everything that's going on in the world. We all are disturbed, right? There's so many different things to get disturbed about. And this is why you should not watch the news 24 hours, seven days a week. It's not good for your soul. You need to limit your news consumption. But here's, here's the thing you need to know. In all the chaos and everything that you look at and just feel so dysfunctional and all that, here's what you need to understand. The Holy Spirit is always hovering over chaos. The Holy Spirit is not, he, he's all, he, he sees the chaos and the darkness and that's when, that's when he begins to operate. Amen. So just, if you're, if you're disturbed about the darkness, the chaos, the, the, all of that, just, just know the Holy Spirit isn't too far away. He's hovering over that. That's, that's just a side example. The Holy Spirit is found throughout the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit, you'll find even in the book of Genesis, the Holy Spirit will come upon individuals. In Exodus, the Holy Spirit comes upon Moses in a powerful way. The Holy Spirit, in fact, it comes upon him, and, and, and there's a time where Moses is with 70 elders, and it says, the Holy Spirit who was on Moses then came upon the 70 elders. The Holy Spirit, mostly in the Old Testament, though, just comes upon individuals, select few individuals, and, and individuals that we don't even necessarily understand him coming upon. People like Samson. I go, what's up with that? That's not the guy I would have, that I would have anointed in that moment. This guy's got issues. Meaning, again, he hovers over dysfunction and darkness at times, right? The Holy Spirit hovers over King Saul. He, he comes upon King Saul. King Saul begins to prophesy. And King Saul is not the guy that you would, you would want your kids spending the night with. He throws spears at people just for being angry. He comes upon David. He comes upon the prophets. Like the Holy Spirit is all over the Old Testament. And then we get into the New Testament. And we have the story of Mary, this, this girl who's just going about her business. She's, she's righteous. She's giving her life unto God. And one day an angel visits her, Gabriel visits her, and he, and he says, yo, Mary. It doesn't say yo, Mary, okay? Don't get upset about that. He comes and he visits Mary and he says, he says you're going to give birth and, to, to the Most High and you're going to call him Jesus. And, 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 and Mary's going, whoa, 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 I've never had sexual relations. I'm still a virgin. I'm not married yet. And he goes, what does the angel say? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Some, some translations in the Greek, the implication is the Holy Spirit will hover over you. He's constantly hovering. The Holy Spirit will hover over you. And, and sure enough, even at Jesus' conception, the Holy Spirit is involved in his conception, right? Like you fast forward, we already talked about his baptism. And at his baptism, where is the Holy Spirit? Hovering over Jesus, right? He comes up out of the water. The Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. 
I don't like that part. Sometimes the Holy Spirit leads us into places that we don't want to go. So the Holy Spirit leads Jesus. Jesus comes out of the wilderness victorious. He's, he, he's, he, 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 is, he has defeated the temptations of the enemy. And he comes out of the wilderness. And it says that he is now filled with the Spirit as he comes out of the wilderness. And he begins to heal people. And he begins to perform miracles. Now here's the thing. Did Jesus heal people and perform miracles out of his deity, out of the fact that he is God? No, Philippians 2 actually says that he emptied himself that he made him nothing, that he voluntarily laid aside his Godhead. Jesus was healing people and performing miracles out of the anointing and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That just shows you the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you guys are looking at me cross-eyed. Like, you're like, I don't know if I even believe this. Well, you should read your Bible. But, but so we get to, we get to the, the end of Jesus' life. He is now 33 years old. He, he gathers his disciples for, for like one last meal. He shares a meal with them. We call this the Last Supper. And, and in the few minutes, maybe hour, hour and a half before Jesus is betrayed and arrested, we see Jesus giving one of the longest teachings that he would give to his disciples. And this is recorded in the Gospel of John. And so I'm going to have you turn to the Gospel of John. And we're going to begin with, uh, th- this whole section begins in John chapter 13, but I'm going to have you start in John chapter 14, beginning with verse 16. The Gospel of John, chapter 14, beginning with verse 16. Everybody, are you guys all with me? You with me? Okay. If someone next to you is starting to nod off, just pinch them, help them out in the name of Jesus. All right. Not, not a hard pinch, just a little pinch, just a little nudge. All right. John chapter 14, verse 16. This is Jesus speaking, and again, you've got to understand the context. This is just minutes, maybe, maybe just an hour or two before he's going to be betrayed and arrested. And he's got a limited amount of time with his disciples, and this is what he chooses to talk to his disciples about, amongst several other important issues. Beginning with verse 16, Jesus is speaking. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you, he's speaking to his disciples, he will give you another advocate. Advocate in most of your translations is capitalized. It's a capital A advocate. For some of you, your translations use the word helper. The Greek word here is the word paraclete. And I'm not trying to get nerdy with you, but this is a really incredible word. It can mean, it can mean one who comes alongside. It can mean helper, advocate, counselor, comforter. It has all kinds of different dimensions to this word. Now notice he says, he will give you another. In the Greek, this is different but the same. So he's saying, He's saying, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you something that's different but the same as me, an advocate, and he will never leave you. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm about to leave you guys. Peace out, right? But, what, but this advocate, who is just like me but different than me, is never going to leave you. Verse 17, in case you're wondering who we're talking about, verse 17, he is the who? The Holy Spirit. Notice Jesus doesn't say it is. He says he, as if he's, a, as if he's a person, not a human being, obviously, but he has personality. He's not an inanimate object. He, he, is, he has personality. He, you, you can offend him. You can grieve him. He, he has thought. He can be angered. He is the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the one that, that he will give you another who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. That's interesting. 
Jesus is saying to his disciples, man, here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. You, you know him. Maybe you don't know him, but you know him. You, you've experienced him. You've sensed him. And they're going, wait, Jesus, we don't even know what you're talking about here. He goes, he's, he's been with you, but just you wait. He's going to be in you. Spoiler alert, right? Okay, now skip, skip to verse 26. Jesus continues. This is all one long discourse, and I'm, and I'm skipping a section. Verse 26, but when the Father sends the Advocate, capital A, Advocate, as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Listen, what Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit will be your divine mentor. Some of you have been looking, you're like, man, I just wish it was someone who could coach me, someone who could show me the way. The Holy Spirit is it. He, he will lead you into all truth. He will remind you of the words of Jesus. Now, here, here's the disclaimer. The Holy Spirit can only remind you of the words of Jesus. You've got to put the words of Jesus in you. He can't remind you of something that you never heard in the first place. So as I read the word of God, as I repeat the word of God, as I write the word of God, as I meditate on it, memorize it, as I put the word of God inside of me, what the Holy Spirit is great at is he will, in moments that you're not even thinking about the word of God, the Holy Spirit will say, you're not doing the right thing here. <laughs> right? Like he, he will remind you, and he will start bringing scripture up and there'll be, there'll be things you're like, oh, I, did, I, I read that three months ago. The Holy Spirit will remind you of everything he's told. Let's, let's keep going. If you, if you go into chapter 15, Jesus talks in chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches, remain in me, abide in me. And then let's skip to John 16. I encourage you to read this whole section later on when you have the chance. It's so rich. There's so much going on in here. In John chapter 16, let's skip to verse 7. And now Jesus says something more about the Holy Spirit. He says, in fact, it is best for you, speaking to his disciples, that I, this is Jesus speaking, that I go away, because if I do not, the advocate will not come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of his sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Okay, so much going on right there, right? First of all, Jesus says, listen, it is best for you. Some of your translations say it is to your advantage. It is for your good that I go away. To which if I'm one of the disciples, I'm going, no, it's not. There's no way. From a human perspective, if, if you're one of Jesus' disciples, you're going, there's no way that it's to my advantage for you to go away, Jesus. In fact, I'll tell you, I was stuck on this for a long time reading this because even me, I'd be like, man, I just wish Jesus was here. How many of you are like that? Man, I wish Jesus was still, why did Jesus have to ascend? Why couldn't Jesus just still be here? Here's a reason why Jesus had limited himself in human flesh. So think about it. Jesus had to go to the bathroom. Jesus had to eat. Jesus had to sleep. Jesus was just like you and I, limited by humanity. Maybe he could figure out how to get the least amount of sleep. Maybe he could be, you know, he could Neil Armstrong it, where he, you know, learns how to sleep in just like three hours a night or something. Maybe he could do that. But even think about, even with that, think about all the people in this world who call themselves followers of Jesus. And if all of us just said, hey, Jesus, I just need a minute of your time. Can you imagine the line outside of Jerusalem? I mean, can you, Tel Aviv would be the largest airport in the world. 
people would be flying into Tel Aviv. They'd be renting their cars, going to Jerusalem, getting in line. There'd be some kind of system. And it would probably take you months or even years to finally get a minute with Jesus. (laughs) And Jesus goes, oh, heaven no. (laughs) We're not doing that, right? So Jesus goes, listen, it is to your advantage. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because when I go away, the Father's gonna send you this advocate, this paraclete. And here's the great thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can minister to each and every one of us all at the same exact time, all with the same exact power. Isn't this amazing? He can minister to RC and to Kathy and to Chip and to Abby, all at the same time, all with the same amount of power. Like if RC's going through a really hard thing, it's not gonna be like, well, I can't pray because there might be a brownout in heaven. No, RC can, the Holy Spirit can be ministering his power and his strength to RC and his truth to RC all at the same time that he's ministering the same exact thing to me. All at the same time, millions of followers of Jesus seeking him and being filled with him and being led by him all at the same time. That's incredible. That's why Jesus says it is for your benefit. But then look at verse eight. When he comes, when the advocate, the Holy Spirit comes, he will, what's the word there? Okay, you're not looking at it. Is it up there? If I do go, uh, when he comes, he will, what's the word? He will convict the world regarding their sins, right? Here's something, some some of you really need to get this this morning. You don't need to convict the world of their sins. Because you're not the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit convict the world of their sins. Okay, now before you throw your stones, we we can speak truth. In fact, we're called to speak truth. I would add we're supposed to speak truth lovingly, according to the word of God. It matters the, the place, it matters the way that we speak truth, it matters the context, all that, but we are called to speak truth. But listen, there's a difference, you know this, there's a difference between speaking truth and trying to convict somebody. And too many people who call themselves followers of Jesus have forgotten the fact that the Holy Spirit is the one who will convict the world of their sins. I don't have to do it. I can speak truth and then I can let the Holy Spirit, he's good at his job. He's good at his job. Well, he's not fast enough for me. So you're better than the Holy Spirit? Who is God? So you're better than God? You can do it better? Be careful. <laughs> right? Let, let him do his job. Speak, speak the truth lovingly in the right context. Pay attention to all that. And then let the Holy Spirit, he will do it. And he will do it right in his timing and his ways. Okay, I'm getting some, some looks. So let's just keep going here. Let's skip to verse 13. You show me a place where the Bible says otherwise and I'll I'll relent. Verse 13, John chapter 16, verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. This is the second time in this one conversation that Jesus has talked about the Holy Spirit leading people into truth. Some of you in this room, you're confused. You don't know which way to go. There's opportunities in front of you and you don't know which opportunity to take. There's issues with your kids or issues with your elderly parents and you just, just, man, I just don't even know. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. You can go to him. You can say, Holy Spirit. Listen, you can pray to the Holy Spirit. (gasps) He is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. I do, I just, Holy Spirit, help me, lead me. Show me what to do here. 
Some of you are like, well, that's not the right formula. God isn't up there going, well, you know what, Ken? I know that you're, you're passionate about your prayer and you're seeking me in your prayer, but because you didn't re- use the right formula, I can't listen to you. You can pray to the Father. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven. You can pray to Jesus. One of the best prayers in the world is, Jesus, have mercy on me. Right? That, that'll get you places. When you mean it, Jesus, have mercy on me. You can pray, Spirit, lead me. You can, you can pray all those things. You can pray them all in the same prayer. <laughs> I wish you could see your faces. You need to smile more. You need to smile more. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father's mind, that is why I said the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. And here's the principle you need to understand about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always glorifying Jesus. If you go to a church or you go to a church full of people who call themselves Christians and they're talking about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is being discussed. Listen, the Holy Spirit, an authentic, genuine move of the Holy Spirit of God should always point people to Jesus. Okay? The ministry of the Holy Spirit is not to point you to a political candidate. The ministry of the Holy Spirit should always point you to Jesus. Political candidates will come and go. God bless them. I think we should pray for them. I think you should get behind your candidates and nothing wrong. We live in a democracy, so go for it. But if you're in a place that's talking about that this is a prophetic meeting and the prophetic meeting never even mentions Jesus, it's not prophetic and it's not of the Holy Spirit. It's American, it's political, patriotic. God bless all that. But don't call that prophetic. And don't put the Holy Spirit in the midst of it. Now you're really looking at me. Okay, let's keep going. So now I want you, I want you to turn to John chapter 20. And I'm gonna, so if, if you're going to there, let me tell you just what's going on now in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 17, which we haven't gotten into, Jesus prays. And it's one of the most powerful prayers. He prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and he prays for everyone who will believe as a result of his disciples, which means he's praying for us. You should read it. It's a great prayer. Spoiler alert, most of the prayer is about unity and love. Man, he's so 2,000 years ago, isn't he? Like, it's so, like, I don't even know how you apply that to our world. Chapter 18, he's betrayed. He's arrested. He's put on trial. He's denied. Peter denies that he knows him. Verse 19, or chapter 19, he's crucified. Have I been saying verse? I meant chapters. So this is not chapter 19, he's crucified. In chapter 20, he's resurrected from the grave, okay? And we're gonna skip to verse 19, John chapter 20, verse 19. Are you guys all with me? I know we're reading a lot of the Bible this morning. Some of you are like, man, I I don't know if I wanna go to a church where they read this much of the Bible. Just hear yourself think that. Hear yourself think that, it's ridiculous. Okay, so John chapter 20, beginning with verse 19. That Sunday evening, okay, let's pause, gotta pause. That Sunday evening, the Sunday evening that we're talking about here is the resurrection, okay? And if you don't believe me, look at the context. The the Sunday of Jesus' resurrection, this is gonna become a huge deal in a few minutes. The Sunday of Jesus' resurrection, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Why are they afraid? Because literally three days before, Jesus had been arrested and crucified. 
they are Jesus' followers, so in their minds, they are next, okay? And so they've got, think about it, they're in this room, shades are drawn, doors are dead bolted, locked. They got the little ring technology device on the door, you know, looking at the app on the phone and just waiting to see if anybody's coming down the street. They are freaked out and they are scared. And it says suddenly, and any time in the Bible you see the word suddenly, you should just circle it and star it. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. How'd that happen? It's Jesus. And he's, resur- he's in his resurrected body. He can do all kinds of fun stuff now. Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said, because they were freaking out. Peace be with you. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you, because they're still freaking out, now in a good way. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So he's commissioning them. He will go on in the 40 days that he is with his disciples to continue to commission them, to help them to understand that they have a mission. By the way, every follower of Jesus has a mission. There's not an elite level of Christians, not just pastors or or whoever you would put up on a pedestal. Every one of us is being sent. Just as the Father sent Jesus, he is sending you. You are sent. God has a mission for you. That's a whole other sermon. Verse 22, then Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He's got his resurrected body, so I'm thinking his resurrected breath. They didn't mind this moment, right? He breathes on it. So you think, picture this. You got all the disciples here. Jesus standing there, his resurrected body. He breathes on them, and then he says to receive the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, this, this, this sentence is a, it's called an imperative sentence. In other words, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. Jesus doesn't say, it'd be nice if you would consider receiving the Holy Spirit. No, receive the Holy Spirit. It's a command, it's stern, it's an imperative. Jesus breathes on them and he says receive the Holy Spirit. Now I'm gonna ask you a question. If Jesus, the resurrected Son of God, is standing right in front of you and he breathes on you and says receive the Holy Spirit, do you receive the Holy Spirit? You guys are way better than the first service. Don't tell them that, by the way. They're all kind of sitting there going, I don't know, like... So let me ask it again because maybe you were confused and you didn't know, but now you know the answer and it is that the, the yes is the correct answer. So if Jesus, the resurrected son of God, is standing in front of you, breathes on you and says, receive the Holy Spirit, do you think you received the Holy Spirit? Yes. yes. And they did. And here's something that you've got to get because we get so confused about this in churches all over America. I was confused about this up until probably my early 20s. Like here's the deal. The moment that you humble yourself and you recognize I am sin-stained and sin-covered. I'm broken, I'm helpless, I'm powerless. I don't have what it takes. Jesus, I need you. I recognize you are the Son of God, crucified for my sins, resurrected from the grave, proving your authority. Have mercy on me, forgive me of my sins. Be the master and leader of my life. Now I'm not saying that you said all those words exactly and it's not a formula prayer that saves you. Maybe for you it was just a help, but you were thinking of all that and you said, help! But you recognized all that. The Bible calls this conversion, being born again. And it's really incredible what happens when you're born again. You wanna know what happens when you're born again? Couple things happens. First of all, the Bible says that you are, this is a big term, we don't use it very often these days, you probably haven't used it on the line at Whirlpool recently, but you are justified. Justified, it's a legal word. 
It means that now God sees you not in your own sin. He sees you through the blood of Jesus and in his eyes, the way that he sees you from his perspective, it's as if you never sinned to begin with. Justify, that's huge. Man, that's worth dancing over. It was an invitation, but you missed it. Okay, so let's keep going, right? So, so you ask Jesus to come into your life. You are justified. Here's the second thing that happens. You are adopted into his family. This is amazing, guys. You're no longer in Adam. You're no longer in sin. You're no longer in death. You're no longer in condemnation. You are now in Christ. You are now in his family. You are a son. You are a daughter of the Most High God. Now, here's the third thing, and we don't talk about this. Just like we don't talk about Bruno, we don't talk about this. We don't talk about, some of you are like, who's Bruno? You, be, be glad, just be glad, okay? Here's what we don't talk about. Not only are you justified in the eyes of Christ, not only are you adopted to his family, in the moment that the penny drops and a light bulb comes on and you confess your sin and you receive his lordship and his grace, you receive the Holy Spirit. Who is, by the way, just as much God as God the Father and God the Son? The Holy Spirit, who is God himself, comes and inhabits you, dwells inside of you. And I want to submit to you that the moment that every legitimate, authentic follower of Jesus begins to really understand that, and if we collectively began to understand that, everything would be different. And the enemy of your soul doesn't want you to understand that and doesn't want you to get it. And this is why he's hardly talked about in most of the churches in America anymore. The moment that you receive the forgiveness of Christ and his lordship, you receive the Holy Spirit. You say, Ken, where are you getting that? I believe, most scholars believe that this moment, the night of Jesus' resurrection, is the night that they finally understood who Jesus was. They had been with Jesus for three years. Some had made confessions. They had, they, 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 they had been in this, progress, this progression of, first of all, just belonging. Jesus just says, come follow me. They don't know who he is. They don't understand it. They don't, they don't have every I dotted or every T crossed, but they're like, all right, let's follow him. Sounds like an adventure. Along the way, they start seeing glimpses and just like they would take a step forward and then Jesus would do something weird like say, eat my flesh and drink my blood and they'd be like, oh wait, take some steps backward, right? And they were confused. But this moment when the risen Christ stands in front of them, even though the doors are dead bolted shut, it's like rhema. It was like, like this light bulb moment where they go, Oh, it's all making sense now. And they, they believed. And Jesus was doing this not just for them, he was doing it for us. And, and Paul talks about this in Romans chapter eight. He talks about it in Galatians four. Listen, it is a principle in the word of God that when you are adopted into God's family, you received the Holy Spirit by which we call out Abba Father. It is all over scripture. Now this is why it's important. The question is, not only have you received the Holy Spirit, because if you're a follower of Jesus, that's settled. Are you keeping in step with the Spirit? Are you paying attention to him? Are you welcoming him? Are you welcoming him? Are you leaning into him? So, so let's keep going. I want us to skip 40 days to Acts chapter 1. 
And in Acts chapter 1, it says this. This is, this is literally, you're going to see this in a moment. In fact, if you want to skip ahead, if you're looking in your Bibles, if you want to skip to verse 9, there's a huge spoiler right there in verse 9. But I want you to get this. In verse 4 of Acts chapter 1, Jesus commanded them. So he's with his disciples. Here, now 40 days after his resurrection, 40 days since he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water. By the way, that word baptized means to immerse, to drench, to soak. John baptized, he immersed people in and with water. But in just a few days in the future, you will be baptized, immersed, drenched, soaked in and with the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm confused. Haven't they already received the Holy Spirit? Had they received the Holy Spirit when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit? Yeah, the answer was yes. So if they've already received the Holy Spirit, what is this deal with the baptism? He's just saying there's more. Here's a principle of the kingdom of God. There's always more. There's always more. We're gonna talk way more about this next week. You gotta come back next week. I mean, it's stuff that I just never completely got until really recently. There's always more. You have received the Holy Spirit. You're not JV, you're not second class. Everybody in this room has received the Holy Spirit. And yet there is something about the Holy Spirit being activated in our life in a way that probably most of us haven't even completely realized. I'm not even just talking about one moment. I'm not even just talking about one service where you pray, you know, and God overwhelms you. And, and I'm talking about a lifestyle. Okay, so, so he says, John baptized with water. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's some confusion from them about that. And does this mean you're finally bringing your kingdom and all that? And so skip to verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They've already received the Holy Spirit, but there's this immersion, there's this trenching that's gonna come upon them. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, a lot of us like to stop there and we go, power? I want power. Everybody wants power, don't they? Political parties want power. Media companies want power. CEOs want power. That's not the kind of power Jesus is talking about. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What kind of power? And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then I want you to see this. I'm not skipping anything. This is the very next verse. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. Guys, this is Jesus' mic drop. Literally, his mic drop is, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power for what? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Drop. Fly up. That would have been a crazy scene, would it not? And you gotta come back next week or you can keep reading in the book of Acts if you wanna know the rest of the story, but they wait in Jerusalem. They take him seriously. They take him at his word and they just decide these people who had already received the Holy Spirit go, well, he told us to wait in Jerusalem. Let's just wait and see what happens. And next week, we're gonna talk more about that. But to get you ready, before I dismiss you, to get you ready, there's a couple things that I'd love for you to do, okay? I know not everybody in this room is gonna do this, 
but I'm going to double dog dare you to do it anyhow. And that is we have a challenge for you. It's a reading through the book of Acts challenge. Now here's the thing. A lot of you have already done this. That's great. This challenge only works. Here's a disclaimer, okay? Every commercial has a disclaimer at the end. The disclaimer is you have to start today. If you've done it in the past, that doesn't count. You can't go, well, I did this last week or I did this last year or a decade ago. You have to do it again beginning today. If you will read through the book of Acts, and I encourage you to read it slowly, to, to don't just do it in one, you know, well, I've got two hours this afternoon, so I'm gonna read through the whole thing so I can check the whole thing off. I'd encourage you to write, read it in bite-sized pieces. Read it over the course of 30 days. We have a reading plan out on the table where you can read it. It's, it's broken up into 30 different segments. Here's the deal. If you will do this and you will bring this card back the first or second week of July and put it in the offering buckets, you know, where you, not the offering buckets, the connection card buckets. Offerings go in the giving boxes. I'm confusing myself. I'm confusing you. If you'll put it in the buckets where we receive the connection cards, now are we all together? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give $20 to the Liberty Center for every one of these cards that gets filled out. Okay? It's your money. I mean, it's the Lord's. It's, it's not. Okay. It's just a challenge. Sometimes we need a challenge. Okay? So here's my challenge. If, if you do this, the Liberty Center gets 20 bucks for each person. You can only do it once. Okay? Some of you are like, oh, man, we're going to make them some money. You can only do it once. And, and you can only do it from today on. You can't count anything that you've read before. You've got to do it all over. And here's what I'm hoping that you'll do. Here, here'd be my wish. You don't have to do this. It's not part of the challenge. But here's what I would encourage you to do. As you're reading through the book of Acts, every time you see the word spirit mentioned, or maybe you're in the King James Version, it's ghost, Holy Ghost, or whatever it would be. Whenever you see him mentioned, that's a whole other conversation. Some of you are like, what? Every time you see the spirit mentioned, if you're a writer, I would love to have you just, you know, it doesn't have to be like a new notebook or something, and just pull out a piece of paper and just write down, what do you learn about the Spirit from this verse? Now, some of you are like, I don't write, I'm an adult, I don't do homework anymore. Okay, that's cool. Just before you keep reading, just pause and ask yourself, self, what did I just learn about the Spirit? And then answer yourself. And then pause and then keep reading. Okay, that's, that's all I'm asking. What I'm hoping that you'll do is I'm hoping that as you read through the book of Acts, which is a record of the first 30 years of the church, that you'll begin to learn about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. By the word, by the way, Acts means actions of the Holy Spirit. The first 30 years of the church are literally the actions of the Holy Spirit. And here, here's my... Here's what I want to submit to you. The Holy Spirit has not changed. And the Roman Empire that the early followers of Jesus were having to navigate is a lot like the world we are having to navigate today. And if we have ever needed the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it is today. It is today. So I want us as a church to grow in our knowledge of the Holy Spirit, but not just knowing about the Holy Spirit. I want, Paul used this phrase, and this is a phrase that I love. He says, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Here's my desire, church, is that we would grow in knowledge about the Holy Spirit, but we would also grow in knowing how to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, this will change your life. It will change your marriage. It will change your parenting. It will change, it will change how you look at other people. It has to. Or it's not authentically the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I've rambled on long enough. Would you, can I just pray over you?
I've got the mic, so I'm gonna answer that yes, okay. So Father, I, I pray for myself. I pray for every believer in this room. God, would you help us to grow in our awareness of your spirit? I pray that we would be a church who honors the Holy Spirit, who knows who this Holy Spirit is, but who also keeps in step with the Holy Spirit. So we receive everything you have for us, Spirit. Everything that is authentically and genuinely of you, we say yes to. Not for ourselves, so that we can be empowered to do the things that you've called us to do. And in the process, that we would have more love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It's not so that we look cool. It's for your name and for your fame. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.